everybody, welcome back to another episode of But Why the Podcast, and today we're talking about the iconic Dwayne McDuffie. As always, I'm Kate, and here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a special guest, it's been a while since he's been on the podcast, Ritz. Hey, what's going on? Hello. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you guys invited me on, because, uh, yeah, Dwayne McDuffie's one of the one of the goats. <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody listening uh, what, where you're from, what you do, and essentially why you think we brought you on this episode. Um, so, yeah. Um, my name is John, a.k.a. Scarrets, a.k.a. Uh, fourth Wall. Um, I am a podcaster. I record the Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing podcast, which is a writing podcast that goes into the technical aspects of writing. Um, usually I bring on somebody to interview a writer or something like that. Um, and yeah, just try to give people tidbits on how to get better in their writing. Um, aside from that, I also write a comic book called Scorpio. It's about 12 uh, relics that are empowered by the Zodiac. Um, you can find that at ScorpioComic.com. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a comic book head. So yeah, I like everything that I do is comic book related. And yeah, so um, I'm pretty sure that they invited me on this podcast because of that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that would be correct. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I know anybody who knows comics as well as you. So, <laughs> <laughs> word, word. Yeah, so I definitely appreciate it. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, we'll talk about it, of course, um, as we as we get into the episode. But he has a very special place in my heart when it comes to the comic book world. So I'm happy to be here to talk about him. Awesome. So we're going to go straight into our question. Do you know who Dwayne McDuffie is? And I'm going <laughs> to answer this first. One, I do probably definitely not to the extent that everybody else does here because it's just comics and whatnot else. Um, also, I just want to apologize because I'll probably say O.J. McDuffie a lot of time, but he was a great Dolphins receiver from 1993 <laughs> to 2001. And, <laughs> and all I know is when we start doing prepping for this episode, I just kept saying, you know, we're doing O.J. McDuffie. And Kate was just like, who? And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I apologize uh, right now, but OJ McDuffie, you were great. <laughs> if you don't know if Matt can reference something to the Miami Dolphins, he will at all times. Peak <laughs> childhood right there. <laughs> Adrian? Yeah, so I don't know like a whole lot about like, you know, like Dwayne McDuffie in the way that I like personal life, the way that I know like Jack Kirby or like Stan Lee. But I am a huge fan of Ben 10 and Static Shock and, like, 2004's Teen Titans. So I don't know him necessarily as much from, like, the comic side, but, like, the film side, uh, like, the filmography side. Like, I love his his work. It's, it's super, super great. Um, yeah. Like, when we're talking about Saturday morning cartoons, like, in our, in our AMA, I should have said Static Shock because, like, I watch Static Shock all the time. Uh, it's it's great. So I'm really excited to learn more about like him, like as a person and kind of his work because it's it's really really good. Um, and yeah, obviously I chose this episode, so I know who Dwayne McDuffie is. Uh, I <laughs> he's a man who's left a giant legacy that we're going to get into as we start going through his history and everything else. Um, but I knew about him first uh, through the DC animated universe uh, and Justice League and Static Shock. Mostly Static. I watched all of Static Shock. That was such a good show. Um, didn't get too into Ben 10. Um, but also when I was doing my thesis work, I 
I had to go into a lot of, I did a lot of archival stuff with different libraries that had uh, different issues of different milestone comics since they're since completely out of print. Um, so I had to like request certain issues and stuff like that. And I had known who Dwayne McDuffie was before, but I learned more about the history of milestone and everything during that period. Um, yeah. Ritz. Um, so because when I was a kid, I didn't look at who was writing books. <laughs> I was reading Dwayne McDuffie without knowing that I was reading Dwayne McDuffie. And that was primarily with, uh, static and icon. Um, yeah, I was just reading them. Like I, I <laughs> like I, I was bad about it. Like just like picking up a book and be like, Oh, this person's cool. And just, just going through it. But later on when I, I learned who Dwayne McDuffie was probably, I, I have to say probably because of the static, uh, shock TV show. I was like, of course, I was like, oh, I'm excited because it's static. But um, I was able to, like, you know, the the, the credits. I saw yeah. a name show up. And I'm like, oh, snap, okay. So um, then I, I, heard, I heard the name around, did research. And I'm like, oh, wow, he he was the dude that wrote those black comics. I mean, this is when I'm a kid. I'm, like, in high school-ish, you know. And I'm like, oh, he was the one that wrote those characters that are, like, that, you know, that I resonated with when I was younger. So, okay, this is this is pretty dope. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I – learned who he was now over time i was able to kind of look back and be like wow this guy's legacy is uh like he made a really big mark on comics um in addition to not not only milestone which i know we'll probably get into in a minute but um um the, the, the people he influenced and inspired around him to help to help grow this uh to help well to really to, to make a mark on comics that wasn't there before so uh, we're going to go into the history, because that's where we always start. Um, and Dwayne McDuffie, as you probably gathered from our intros to him, was an American writer of comic books and television. Uh, essentially, he was on staff at Marvel under Bob Bodansky originally, and this he actually helped pi- uh, <laughs> he helped do the first set of Marvel tra- uh, trading cards. Um, and those were really interesting. If you look them up, the original Marvel training cards, they would, they kind of were Exodia in the way that you would collect them and they would turn into a big villain, like with villains surrounding them. Um, so he helped design all of the, uh, all of the characters on there and everything like that. Um, he also, so while he was at Marvel, he also did scripted stories. So his personal one was specifically Damage Control, which was a mini series about a company that shows up between issues to tidy up all of the all of the mess that's left by superhero and villain battles. Um, and this was essentially in the in the late or in the eighties, and we kind of see the remnants of Damage Control still happening in a lot of narratives that we see in comics today. Um, I mean, we kind of don't get that Vulture storyline in that's in the Spider-Man movie <laughs> without yeah. Dwayne McDuffie's damage control. Um, and so he also did work on Spider-Man, Captain America, Daredevil, Fantastic Four. Um, I wrote Fantastic Force. I don't know what I was doing. Um, and he did dozens more as well. And in 1990, he ended up becoming a freelancer. He also created a new persona for Deathlock, who was the only black hero at the time that had a solo run when he when he created him. Um, so he didn't create Deathlock. He created the the new person that took over the, the 
the mantle essentially um but once he became a freelancer he started doing work at dc comics there he wrote justice league and a whole bunch of other titles um and then he also worked with archie comics and then he wrote monster in my pocket for harvey comics um he also worked in tv and animation and he is one of the building blocks of the dcau so the dc animated universe as we know today um specifically with work on static shock justice league justice league unlimited and ben 10 which we'll get into a little bit later um adrian since you love ben 10 you can probably fill out that part because i pretty much just stuck to justice league stuff because if you've listened yeah. to our justice league episode you know we love that <laughs> yeah yeah no worries i was looking through the notes and i was like why isn't ben 10 on here but i figured just because you just didn't have like the, the thing on it but yeah yeah i got i got it. i i have some anecdotes about ben 10 because ben 10 has been like a big like thing, and I was just talking to my wife about this because she likes TikTok, and they're doing like this TikTok transformation thing, like transition with Ben Ten, but they like oh, wow. lick their hand before they smack the thing, and it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and anyone who does it, I just want to be like Dwayne McDuffie would would hate you for this. I just want you to know this. Like this is terrible. Like you're not smacking a booty, all right? You're disrespecting Ben Tennyson. But yeah, I got you. Um, I like Ben Ten, but then I, but then they turned it into like seventeen different other knockoff Ben Tens, and they got confusing. No, they just oh yeah, the knockoff Ben Tens are kind of <laughs> 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 the knockoff. The one like the reboot one. I, th- I thought you were talking about like when they made them older. I was like, no, when they're older, they're great. But I yeah, mean, the like older the, one wasn't bad. But I'm talking about they started knock the reboots and then the uh, the knockoff spinoffs, and I just got confused. And then they yeah, I mean, became the and, same characters but different relationships, and it was just weird. I mean, in Dane McDuffie's, like, defense, like, I don't think he had any part of, like, the... Oh, no, I do not the think other he did either, so. like, You know, he only had the good stuff. Weird. I'm um, excited. <laughs> and then from that, probably the most important part of his history, and I, I say, I mean, all, everything he did was important, but one of the most important things for comics as an entire industry is he was one of the co-founders of Milestone Media, which is a minority-owned company off... Uh, minority owned and operated comic book company that focused on highlighting characters from underrepresented groups um, in American comics which hadn't been done before and it was exclusively doing that um so that I it's a pretty short history because I I mean it literally his entire work in comics is all about why though so I didn't want to put that all in the history I wanted to leave that in the meat of the episode which we will get into after a word from our sponsors Manscaped 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control but there is one thing that you can control and that's shaving your bush our sponsor at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so yeah, and I'm going to talk about the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. It's a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confident boost through body image. Plus, their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellows down low. Uh, the Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with a nice LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. And they have more than just ways to shave your balls. Now, with the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, this also allows you to now pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. That's not all. You can also clean your nose and your ears with the Weed Whacker, featuring the same skin-safe technology that you use on your balls. 
So this is where I tell you, you treat your face well, you might as well treat your balls well too. You can pick up other products like the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls, and the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Plus, listeners of this show get 20% off and free shipping with code BUTWHYTHOUGH at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code BUTWHYTHOUGH, B-U-T-W-H-Y-T-H-O. So take care of your balls. So the first thing on our But Why Those is Milestone Media Comics, and that's because it's extremely important. But this goes hand in hand with one of the reasons that Dwayne McDuffie wrote the stories that he did, and a lot of all of it was because of wanting to push representation. And so this is an example of his thoughts on black representation in comics. You only had two types of character available for children. You had a stupid, angry brute and the he's smart, but he's black characters. And they were all colored either this Hershey bar shade of brown, a sticky look, or a sticky looking gray or purple. I've never seen anyone that's gray or purple before in my life. There's no diversity and almost no accuracy among the characters of color at all. Um, and so that was one of the things he had to say about, about representation in comics and the f- one of the fun facts, which is also ties into this main point, is that Dwayne McDuffie, even from the moment that he came into comics, was extremely vocal about how bad representation was. And I mean straight up going at his boss, his bosses for this. Um, a fun fact within the fun fact, uh, Dwayne McDuffie actually has a graduate degree in physics. And he left his program after he got his graduate degree because he found out that his research was being used in Patriot missiles and he decided that he did not want to be a part of that. Uh, so he left and became a comic book writer. <laughs> Welcome to being a scientist. Basically, that's how you get funded. Yeah. <laughs> but all that is to say, that's also why he did not take anything from anyone and and I, I don't want I don't like the word sellout because people do what they need to do to get paid. But one of the things that has that let Dwayne McDuffie do what he did was because he never lost sight of what he what he thought comics should be and how he could be a part of changing things. And that's one of the most important things. Um, But the first fun fact I was going to do was the fact that um, Dwayne McDuffie wrote a letter to Marvel. So his editor at the time. Um, and he essentially pitched a very ludicrous example of what could be a comic, but he did it to showcase what Marvel was doing. So I'm going to read the letter, um, so you all understand. (laughs) It's hilarious. And he sent this to his actual editor. Um, in the past year, 25% of all African-American superheroes appearing in the Marvel Universe possess skateboard-based powers. In an attempt to remain on the cutting edge of comics, I hereby promise... I hereby propose a new series that is fu- that will fully exploit this exciting new trend: teenage Negro ninja thrashers. When a group of teenage Negroes find cosmic-powered skateboards, their lives are forever changed. A team of distinct characters join together, swearing an oath to use their powers for good. Rocket Racer, a black guy on a skateboard. Night Thrasher, a black guy on a skateboard. Dark Wheelie, a night brown on a skateboard, <laughs> or a black guy on a skateboard. And their leader, the mysterious black guy on the skateboard, known as that mysterious black guy on a skateboard. (laughs) 
This is a surefire way. Uh, this is a surefire hit as it contains all of the popular comics, uh, all of the popular elements. Circa 1974 clothing and hairstyles, bizarre speech patterns that are unrecognizable by any member of any culture on the planet, a smart white friend to help them out of trouble that they get into. They're, they're heroes who you could be if you were black, I mean. They're on skateboards. They have an attractive white female friend to calm them down when they get too excited. Face it, Pilgrim, this one's got it all. Have I made my point? I, I want to make a, a note there. If, uh, if I can. Yes. Make the note. Uh, <laughs> what's funny about this is that um, I don't know what begat what. <laughs> <laughs> but Night Thrasher. <laughs> In the same year that he wrote this letter, maybe, I, think, I think it was in response to this, uh, <laughs> uh, is, a, is a black guy on a skateboard. <laughs> oh, my God, really? <laughs> So Night so Night Thrasher is a is a member of the New Warriors, who actually debuted, and I, and I and I feel like maybe Dwayne McDuffie wrote this in response to this because maybe maybe it just like it was he he was done with it like maybe so yeah it Night was Thrasher, it's the same year Night Night, Night Thrasher debuted in 1989 um, December specifically of 1989 this letter is dated. In December thirteenth of nineteen eighty nine, I'm wondering if that was. The, I'm wondering if Night Thrasher <laughs> was the straw that broke the camel's back, <laughs> because he writes Night Thrasher in this in this letter. Um, and I, I love Night Thrasher; he's, he's a great character. But yeah, I mean, he's absolutely correct. He's a he's a black guy on a skateboard. And guess what? They still didn't learn their lesson because fast forward to 2003 or 2004, X-Men Evolution came out. There's a black character named Spike, who is also the nephew of Storm, the only other black character on this team of X-Men. And guess what he is? A black guy on a skateboard. (laughs) (laughs) Just wanted to note that. (laughs) Where's the irony that Static Shock rides around statically in the air? (laughs) (laughs) On a silver circle skateboard. <laughs> this is the most it's not a skateboard. Thing ever. It's a tra- it's a it's a trash can top. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think like the reason I wanted to read the letter is because he sums up the state of black representation in comics right there. He clocks it for what it is and. Yeah. Uh, from this point, this is just a year before he freelances. And when he freelances, he also decides to co-found Milestone, which his entire purpose is to change this. Um, so if you don't know about Milestone Media, and Milestone Media at the time was distributed by DC Comics, it was... I don't know how to explain it because it was an imprint, but it wasn't an imprint because DC had no creative control over Milestone, even though they tried to. Um, so I wouldn't technically call it an imprint because I think imprints, they like the parent company still controls them. Is that correct? Uh, I, I think so. Um, so the way they pitched the project, Dwayne and, uh, and, uh, Cowan, uh, Denise, uh, Denny, uh, I always call him Denny, but I think it's Dennis Cowan. Um, <laughs> the way, the way they took the company to them was that, Hey, look, um, I think you guys need to do these things, and if if we do this, and if you want us to do this, we have to, you have to let us do it so we can do it the right way. And DC was basically like, okay, cool. 
and from from the story the story that I got and, and the way that I understand and I could be wrong I'm not I wasn't there obviously um, I was a kid about <laughs> <laughs> six or seven years old so uh, but the way the way that I got the story from you know historian in, in learning about it and looking at it was that um, DC did not touch them and we can get into it more later on but until the very end yeah. of milestone which was part of the reason why there was an end of milestone to begin with um but like i said we'll talk about that later on uh, i'm sure but uh but yeah yeah dc pretty much let them do what they did and that's why it was so successful yeah um it's funny uh we can talk about it now i looked up <laughs> trying because yeah. i know that there was there was a lot of things going on between them and DC and the main one was a cover that had two character two black characters kissing and a bowl of condoms like just in the background um and they got real mad and they wanted to change it and Dwayne was like this is racist because Mm. have you seen your other covers have you seen what you're (laughs) selling to kids so Um, I I haven't I haven't myself again wasn't there during that time and DC's DC particularly is not <laughs> like that's not what I was looking at most of the time. Anyways, mainly Marvel, and then even then I can't remember all the the covers from the nineties. I'm sure there were some crazy covers. I can't remember what they were. But Dennis was was staunchly against Dwayne on this on this thing. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like from the perspective that I got of this situation, I'm kind of on Dennis's side for this particular thing um, because. Not not because of what Dwayne was saying was wrong. I think what he was saying was absolutely correct. But more in in in, in the terms of Dennis is like, yo, we got to be practical about this. We got to play basically play politics to an extent. And knowing Dwayne McDuffie's personality, he was like, I ain't playing no games with these yeah. people. Like, yeah, that, like, you know what I mean? But unfortunately, um, when a, when a black person stands up and talks too loud at certain points points in history, you get shut down. And that's that's literally what happened. Yeah. Literally, like to a T, that's what happened. Dwayne McDuffie spoke up. He did the cover anyway. He put it on there. It, it was like a there was a condom like in his hand, yeah. and there was like a condom on the. So it's just two different covers of this. Yeah. This is static number twenty five, I believe. Um, I remember this because when I first saw it, I was like, "What?" <laughs> no, I didn't think about the condoms, but I was just thinking like, "Oh, this character's kissing on the cover." Like what? <laughs> but uh, I remember uh, that he was like holding like a condom or something like that, and then there's a rapper like a couple maybe a couple of condoms on the ground and. You know, they're like getting into it on the on the. It wasn't like too graphic, but they were obviously like about to do the do. So, um, so what Dwayne's argument was basically like: if this, just like you said, Kate, if this was a couple of white characters, or if you know, based on your other promiscuous or risque covers, you know, I don't, I don't see why you have a problem with this. I think you're just doing it because it's a black thing. Yeah. You know, while uh, Dennis was more like. Yo, I don't think, you know, well, he didn't really say, I, I'm not going to misquote him. He didn't say, I don't think this is the black thing, but he was just kind of saying, yo, you got to think about it. This is DC and you got people kissing and about to do it on the cover. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of like towing the line there. And that's what the editors were saying. And that's what uh, I believe uh, Derek was saying. Derek was also a co-founder of, of uh, Milestone and, and Dwayne just would not back down from it. And then it got to the point where they released the book. It actually turned out to be not that big of a deal, but then Dwayne wrote in the letters page. Yep. And then that's, that's what uh, DC was like, oh, so you're trying to talk smack to, basically it's like you're biting a hand to feed you. He pretty like, much called to... them racist in that letter. Right, like... right. And, and DC was like, oh, we're racist. Then, and, and so the problem that Dennis had with it is like, bruh, we've done these books 
for, you know, uh, four or five, however long, how many years, and they haven't touched us on anything. They push back on this one thing, and you get pissed about it, and then and, and, and then look what's about to happen. So Dennis left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cohen, Dennis, he just he just bounced. And then when it, when they, when they, when they pushed back on it, he basically was like, uh, well, well, Dennis knew what was going to happen. Long story short, he was like, <laughs> I, I'm out of here. He didn't talk to him. He, didn't, he it wasn't really probably the best way to go about it. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, DC basically was like, oh, okay, so you, you, you think that we're acting like this? Then we can act like this. And then they stopped giving them funding. Mm-hmm. They eventually, you know, they, they hit hard times. They couldn't pay people. And it just kind of, the sales dropped and it went, it went downhill from there. So, and when, I mean, you, it, when you look it up online, it only says because of poor sales. Because of, oh. That's all. Yeah, it, th- on four different sites, that's all. All it says. Oh, Nowhere no, 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 does no, it no. talk about how DC cut everything from them and refused to do anything for them no. or support them. We in gotta call. We gotta practices. call Dennis Cohen. He's out there. <laughs> we got. We got. We got. We got to call some people up because uh, there's, there's a much bigger story than that. It was. It was. It was very much Dwayne pushing back. They didn't like that he pushed back, and they basically were like, "All right, we're going to show you what we do to people who." Who basically mm-hmm. step out, of line. and that's what it felt like. It felt almost like, I mean, I hate to be like so brash with it, but it's almost like, oh yeah, you know, they come the black dude over here stepping out of line, you know, uh, you know, these got whipping back in the shape type of thing, and that's what it felt like. Like, like looking at that situation, that's that's what it seemed like. Now, could Dwayne have handled it better? Absolutely, but his personality was not going to let him. Like, come on, like he was staunchly, and then remained even after Milestone was gone when he wrote other Marvel comics, was staunchly. Uh, unapologetic <laughs> in his in his uh, civil rights. So he was. Come on, <laughs> this is the way, man. That's that, that's how he operates. <laughs> no, and and that's something that I think that it's how we're able to get such. And I, I don't. How do you say it? unapologetic? Is the best word. It's how you get heroes right. that are unapologetically themselves. Um, yeah. And so in the early 90s, and, or, and all of this came from his push in the early 90s uh, specifically to express multicultural sensibility that he, that he saw was missing in comic books, and that, that's why they ended up starting. And so there's this quote from him on representation by non-white characters, and he says, if you do a black character or a female character or an Asian character, then they aren't just a character. They represent the race or that sex, and they can't be interesting because everything they do will represent that entire block of people. You know, Superman isn't all white people, and neither is Lex Luthor. We knew we had to present a range of characters within each ethnic group, which means that we couldn't do just one book. We had to do a series of books, and we had to present a a view of the world that's wider than the world we've seen before. And I think that that's a really important thing because we still get that with a lot of, like, we still get that with a lot of the checkbox diversity that happens in a lot of movies, the token characters that pop up, because then that token character ends up carrying the weight of literally all the representation for the film, for the comic book, um, for all of that. And so the fact that he was cognizant, not only that, like, okay, these representations are bad, like the first quote I said from him, but also... What happens when you put a character of color in front of somebody, understanding what other people see that as and making a strategy to address that piece is the smartest thing Milestone could have done. And it comes from it comes from somebody actually wanting to make change versus somebody just wanting to, like, make a character. I I think, yeah, I think I think they handled that really well Um, to to. 
the, the, the best example is Icon by yeah. far. Um, Static, I love Static. He's my favorite. He's one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, but like for this particular uh, purpose of establishing black people is not a monolith <laughs> because they're not. We aren't. It's it's a it's a there's there's black people of all different flavors. You know what I mean? Just just like there's Asian people of all different flavors. There's Latin pe- Latinx people of all different flavors. It's like there's not a oh this person is just black people. You know um, what, what's her face? Uh, uh, oh, why am I blanking on her name? Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but uh, insecure. What's her face? Issa oh, Rae right. is not is not is not all black people. You know what I mean? Viola Davis is not all black women. Uh, uh, you know. Was, anyway, you get my point. So, like, he did this thing with Icon, where well, first of all, he's an alien, but <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll take him as the black guy that he that he grew up as. Um, Icon's this black guy who who is staunchly conservative, like in every way. Like he is, he, I don't think he would have voted for Trump, but he would have voted for Bush. (laughs) 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 I won't, I won't, I won't put him as far as Trump. That's a tagline. Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) He would have voted for Bush. You know what I mean? He would have voted for McCain. Um, He's, he's, Icon is 100% that guy, but they balance him out with Rocket. Yeah. Who questions every and she's young. She's like I think I think when Rocket shows up, she's like thirteen. Oh yeah, I she's a she teen be, because he ends up saving right. her. Right. Yeah, yeah. She's like she's like thirteen, fourteen maybe. And um she and, and what they do is so excellent. They have this black character who's staunchly Republican, speaking all the stuff that, that most of these rich white people like to hear. You know, they're like, Yeah, all right. And then you have Rocket show up, this fourteen year old girl who questions him and then makes Akon stop and think. You know, and, and that's powerful in its own right. Icon, powerful black dude, conservative, rich. You know what I mean? Superman of his of his world or whatever. And then uh, 14-year-old Rocket walks in, and she's like, hey, yo, man, that ain't right. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and he listens to her. Like, that's what's – I mean, he argues with her, too, like, throughout the series. But, he, but like, he, she puts him at pause because she makes up good points, and she represents, like – if you think about like youth today talking to even our maybe they're not conservative but even our our parents you know their generation yeah. and how we think about certain things versus the way they think about certain things you know how our generation may think about what the uh, what the n word means versus what they think the n word means for example and there's different nuances in, the, in in those discussions that that make them stop and listen because Though they're young and though they have a different experience, these people are intelligent too, and that's what Rocket represents in her time when she, when she shows up, in you know, in 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 um in Icon. And it's not again, she's not discussing the N word or anything in particular, but <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, the kind of arguments that people would have is is uh you know that's a that's an analogy for that you know yeah. those kind of like the, the young people conversation versus what old heads think or whatever. That's what she is to Icon. In that book, so it's a it's it's a really good balance. She also is such an amazing character design. I love right, Rocket. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the only reason I know about Icon is because I saw Rocket in Justice League Unlimited, and I fell in love with her, even though she's only there briefly. And then yeah. I went and I read some of the old Icon comics because she was in there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's a good character. Like she really is. She's, I mean, honestly. Like when I first read Icon, I was like, "Why do people like?" like when, I, when I first started reading it before Rocket shows up, um, at the beginning of the issue, I'm like, "Why do people like this guy?" Like, like, like this guy is kind of a 
like he's got an uptight in it. And then when Rocket shows up and she starts to like bounce the book, like I would not like Icon if it wasn't for Rocket. Like yeah. the like the like the series. Um but that balance that they have, it, it, it makes the series work really well. And then not to mention the other thing that they do well is they they literally put their they make their superhero team a gang. <laughs> the Blood Syndicate is a legitimate gang. Like that's bold, dog. Yeah. Like because it's like it's like playing into stereotypes and then refuting stereotypes at the same damn time, and I love it. You know, so yeah. And Blood Syndicate was <laughs> the best example of how they create a diverse group of people because there were Asian characters, there were Latinx characters. They right. had pr- they did what they could to show a broad representation of the folks that get left out of comics most of the time um mm-hmm. fun fact dc still doesn't have a solo comic with a latinx character <sighs> at all they haven't <laughs> had one since they canceled blue beetle way back when wow when so, was that that was like 2015 oh man that's it's bad dc is dc boy, marvel's bad but dc's bad <laughs> yeah DC, um DC is hurting, man. <laughs> But let Azzarello write Birds of Prey. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but the cool thing that that happened with these characters, or like one of my one of the best things that happens with these characters, and what makes them stand out so much, isn't only because they're they're heroes of color. It's also the fact that as editor in chief, McDuffie made sure that the characters faced villains who couldn't be defeated easily. And not even, I don't just say that, but, like, the villain sometimes in the story was racism or anti-Semitism or sexism. And then they also cover topics like teen pregnancy and abortion and, like, all these deeper issues because for them, the comics were a vehicle to get people involved in larger conversations, but also have these conversations with them because this is what they're going through. It's an understanding that you're not preaching in comics, but you're actually talking about something that these kids are dealing with or these these teens or whatever. It's actual real-world experiences, which goes to the thing is like, okay, Superman can go fight Doomsday, and I don't really care about that, but <laughs> I really, really care about, like, say daredevil bringing down an entire like drug syndicate because that's a little (laughs) bit closer to home and real or you know uh like like there's there's a realness to things um right right. or or like or like when eve ewing just recently wrote um ironheart and one of the one of her first story arts in ironheart is her hunting down remember these stories about these black women who go missing and they and we we talk it's tweeted all around social media, but there's no news sites talking yeah. about it. No major news sites talking about it. Yeah, she addressed that in Ironheart. And Ironheart goes after a missing black girl. Like that's that's the real stuff. I mean that that, that coincides with stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Like, it hits home. That with the weird like that and I'm not saying it's because Eve Ewing's a black writer, but let's be real. It's because Eve Ewing's a black writer. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's one of the things that makes me really sad about the Miles Morales book that's coming out, the new YA, uh, the new YA graphic novel, because it's written by a black writer, but it's not written by an Afro Latino, and they're bringing mm-hmm. and they're they're bringing Miles back to Puerto Rico to deal with something like Maria, which is oh. gonna be a powerful story because we haven't seen Miles in his latin heritage at all right. really right, um right. but they didn't hire somebody with that perspective <laughs> I, I hope i hope so I hope maybe maybe some editorial i mean I, i'm always the like, the, the writer <laughs> the, the writer isn't puerto rican but the writer is latino or not, not the writer sorry the artist the artist okay. is latino 
So that is right. at least there. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I mean, there's an importance that when it when it when you when you're writing a character or a type of character that you're familiar with, you can better understand what people in that demographic are going through, and you can better represent them and build better stories. Um, and so, like we already talked about, Milestone ended its seven year run with pressure from DC. Uh, I put that in quotations because that's everywhere said pressure from DC or bad sales. Nothing detailed anything. Um, but we talked about that here. Um, and essentially what what saved, and I use saved loosely because a lot of these comic book characters did come over to DC and then just sat under ownership and didn't actually get put in comics. But in a way to tie them together, uh, McDuffie wrote Milestone Forever, which was a two-issue mini, uh, two miniseries, chronicling the final adventures of his Milestone characters before an in-story event merges their world with the greater DC Comics universe. Um, and then Static was developed into an animated series um, where Dwayne McDuffie was hired to write and story edit. Um, it went well beyond 11 episodes, but it started there. Um, but before we get into the Static Shock series, which came out of Milestone, uh, I want to talk about some of the characters he's made, because that's the other boat why, though. Um, so, like I said, his main thing was to do representation, but whenever he talked about representation, he always did it from a perspective that he didn't just want black readers to identify with son uh, with, with static he didn't just want let latinx readers to identify with latin characters he wanted to present representation in such a way that everybody could connect with the characters that he was writing so he wanted people of color to feel represented but at the same time he wanted everybody to be able to see themselves in the characters as well which i think is what we miss a lot of when you create token characters um, instead of actually creating dynamic and holistic characters. Um, and so the first, uh, first one of these is Deathlock Michael Collins specifically. So in 1990, McDuffie recast Deathlock as Michael Collins, a mild-mannered father, husband, and academic who makes the mistake of working with the Roxon Corporation. After catching wind just one of, of just one of Roxon's ethical offenses, Collins Collins's brain was removed in, an, in a consciousness swapping experiment before being placed in the body of a weaponized machine, Deathlock. Um, so to symbolize Colin, Collins's dual existence between an unwilling commando and a devoted dad, McDuffie referenced black theorist and historian W.E.B. E. Du Bois, uh, the souls of black folk tilting, into, tilting the into arc of Deathlock's 1991 volume, The Souls of Cyberfolk. Um, so that's probably one of his big standout moments within an existing character. Um, and then we have Icon, which, like Ritz already talked about, uh, is a conservative. Uh, so in 1839, an alien starliner malfunctioned and exploded, jetsoning a life pod into the middle of a cotton field in the American South. The pod automatically altered the appearance of its passenger named Arnis to mimic the first sentient life form who discovered him. That life form was an enslaved black woman named Miriam who saw the pod crash land and adopted Arnis as her son. In the present, Arnis is still alive. He did not age visibly beyond adulthood. To disguise this fact, he periodically assumes the identity of his own son. By the late 20th century, he's posing as Augustus Freeman IV, the great-grandson of the original human identity. Still marooned, Arnis Freeman waits for Earth's technology to catch up to his life pod, secretly possessing superpowers 
that Billy has human existence. He has always performed quiet acts of charity. That being said, when his house is broken into, he uses his powers for the first time in decades. Um, in action witnessed by one of the intruders, Raquel Irvin, an idealistic teenage girl who was born at Paris Island, the poorest, most gang-ridden neighborhood in Dakota City. Also, Dakota City was the, myth the, the made-up place that all of the Milestone comics folks were in. Um, her prospects seemed fairly bleak until the encounter with Freeman. After seeing Freeman use his powers, Raquel persuades him uh, to become a superhero named Icon and herself as a sidekick rocket um so the interesting thing about all of this was that because icon was a conservative republican um who showed conservative views on economic and social issues within the pages of milestone comics it led good old justice clarence thomas to be an avowed <laughs> fan of icon to the extent that he quoted the character on multiple occasions Dwayne, Duff, Dwayne McDuffie learned this and in a blog post wrote the matter and made it, made it very clear that he himself was a, a liberal and from that point suffered writer's block because he was, he was afraid that the dialogue he wrote would end up being used in the service of conservatism. But I, 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 think, that was a, I think that was just like a writer's fear of his because like rocket was always the antithesis of that so well so i think so <laughs> I, I think that's one of the things to like call out right like it kind of shows you that people get from media what they want to get like clarence thomas read this it was like yeah. oh yeah icon why the hell are you listening to rocket icon you're right oh this is so cool it's a black character who thinks just like me that's and... how you know your writing is good yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I think this is an example of how you can say that Dwayne McDuffie did representation very well. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so that's Icon for you. Um, and then there's Static. Um, so Static's civilian identity is Virgil Hawkins, was named after Virgil D. Hawkins, who was a black man who was denied entrance into University of Flores Law School due to his race in 1949. The character's superhero identity was suggested by writer, writer Christopher Priest, who co-developed co the original Milestone Bible with McDuffie. And Christopher Priest did what? What character did he create? Or what did he write really well that he's always talked about? Uh, Black Panther? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Black um, Panther Volume 3. Like <laughs> definitive. The definitive Black Panther. Yup. Um... And he was also inspired by the song Static by James Brown. The character was introduced in one of the first, as one of the first four titles of comic books published by Milestone in 93. Virgil was a 15-year-old when he became Static. In the comics, Virgil's family consists of his father, Robert, who, work, Robert, who works at a Paris Island ho hospital, his mother, Jean, and his sister, Sharon. Virgil attends Ernest Hemingway High School in the city of Dakota with his friends Frida Gorin, Richard Rick Stone, Larry Wade, Chuck Felix, Daisy, and Daisy Watkins. In the guise of static, Virgil eventually rescues Rick Stone from danger, and this is kind of where you get the my friend knows who I am now thing. <laughs> um, so as a self-professed geek, Virgil is portrayed as an avid comic book and video game fan, something that was kept in the series. Um, and in the comics, Virgil regularly visits the local comic book store in addition to creating fan comics with his friends and participates in Heroclix style 
and other tabletop role-playing games. He was a big old nerd. Um, <laughs> Just <laughs> which a is, little bit. Which is why young, young us, young black kids, me, my buddies, would, like, this is why we, like, gravitated towards uh, Static the most. Because, you know, it was like, yeah, that's us. Like, <laughs> and that was probably them when they were little. That was probably that was probably McDuffie and 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 Derek and and Dennis and them when they were when they were kids. The priest, you know. Um, yeah. Um, in two thousand eight, it was announced that Static was going to join the mainstream DC universe. Two thousand eight. <laughs> Milestone was done in ninety seven. Yeah. <laughs> and he still only had like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he did so by joining Teen Titans. Static made his first canonical DC Universe appearance in Terror Titans number four, battling Rose Wilson to uh, in the final round of the Dark Side Club tournament. I don't know what that means. I didn't read it, but it was listed. Um, in June 2010, DC Comics announced that Static would be receiving his own series in 2011. The series was to be written by Felicia Henderson and drawn by Scott McDaniel, but it, that series ended up being canceled because of McDuffie's untimely death that happened that year. Um, however, a one-shot entitled Static Shock Special was released in June of 2011, written by Henderson, uh, drawn by Dennis Cohen. Um, Batwoman artist J.H. Williams III provided one-shots covers. Um, and a new series featuring Static titled Static Shock was launched in September of 2014 as a part of DC's relaunch after the Flashpoint event. Um, and he doesn't have anything right now, right? Static? No, right now he does not. Yeah. Um... So Static was developed into the lead of his own animated series, as we talked about later or earlier, um, with some changes to the material, which is actually interesting when you think that he had a whole family that was happy and everything, and then they had to give him a tragic <laughs> family story for the TV show because heroes can't have parents. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So in the animated series, Virgil Hawkins, who's voiced by the phenomenal Phil Lamar, um, who also voices Jon Stewart and also voices Samurai Jack. I didn't know that. Um, is Phil Lamar's a legend. <laughs> it's like a quiet legend. <laughs> is a 14-year-old honors student at Dakota Union High School who gains his powers by a mutagenic gas explosion dubbed the Big Bang by the media, which grants numerous residents of Dakota superpowers. Those affected are likewise dubbed Bang Babies. <laughs> Virgil lives don't, with don't his wife. That's the best name. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a, thing. Was the that's best a decision. Name. <laughs> it was the two thousands. Uh, I don't think that helped. <laughs> Virgil lives with his widowed father, Robert Hawkins, a social worker and the head of Freeman Community Center, and his sister Sharon Hawkins, a university student and hospital volunteer. His mother Jean died a few years prior. Prior, the victim of a stray bullet while she worked as a paramedic during a riot. That was also a choice. Um, her death causes Virgil to develop an intense fear and hatred of guns. Um, which is a really interesting point that they bring out throughout the entire series whenever guns come into play. Like, it's it's actually handled really well. Um, granted, I still think it's weird that they decided let's give him a dead mom for this yeah. when he had a whole family Is it better than a dead dad? No. Cause... Well, he didn't have a dead dad. He had a whole family. Yeah, because they... Well, that's fair. Like, the, like, static a lot 
a lot of what people resonated with in the original Static comic, it, I, the show was cool, but I definitely liked the, the comic more, was the fact that it was like, uh, you get to see the dynamics of a black family. You get to see the mom getting pissed because superhero you came in late. You know what I mean? And then your sister catching you and being like, oh, I saw I saw you do that. Thing. I'm going to tell mama. You know, like, <laughs> and then, like, he's snapping back at her. Well, you said you was going to get that job and you and you still ain't working. Like, it was just like the family dynamic thing was, was going on in Static. And I don't know, Static Shock didn't, I don't know. It was, I mean, Static Shock was fine. It was just... It did the anime thing. It was just about the kids, and you didn't really get anything else, which is also why all anime characters have dead parents. In Static, the comic felt more mature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And I get it, age range, you're trying to hit or whatever, you got to be careful, blah, blah. But the fact that it felt more mature, because it was hitting stuff that teen you was thinking about it's only mature because it's like do we are we allowed to put this on tv or you know but in the comics it was like no that's what literally teenagers are thinking about at that at that point in time so yeah but if yeah. you have living parents and you have to have an episode with them if you don't you don't have to worry about that <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> again anime <laughs> right um so uh, one of the cool things from the Static Shock, Static Shock series is that Static idolized other positive black superheroes in his world, such as Soul Power and Nazi the Spider, who he befriends in a later Static Shock episode, or multi-part episode thing, episode event. Um, and particularly Green Lantern Jon Stewart. Um, over the course of the series, Static teams up with many DC heroes, including Batman and Robin, Batman's future successor, Terry McGinnis, and the Justice League, and even Superman himself. The episode Future Shock reveals that by the time ba- by the time of Batman Beyond, Static is considered one of the world's greatest heroes. He also has a son who is hinted to be a hero as well. Um, the show also made a point to, to tackle heavier su- subjects, not in the way that the comic did, um, as Rich just said, but uh, specifically. Because the show is an entry point into the medium for a lot of people, I think the fact that it did handle some of the tougher stuff, and, and I think gun violence was one of them, but the more important one for me was race. Um, so there's specifically an episode where uh, where Virgil gets invited over to his best friend Richie's house um, to spend the night, and he's really excited, and the entire time Richie's just like, oh, like, no, it's just us and my mom, that's great, and then his dad comes in. And Virgil's excited because she gets to meet his pops, and he has a great dad. So why don't you want to meet? Why don't you want me to meet your dad? Um, turns out Richie's dad is a big old racist, um, and they have like a weird dinner. But in his dad makes comments about rap ruining, you know, ruining teenagers and telling people to do crime and all this stuff. And uh, Richie obviously knows that this microaggression is he's talking about black people. He's not talking about rap. Um, but Virgil chalks it up to like, well, my dad doesn't like rap either. It's just an age thing. Don't worry about it. And he leaves to get ready for bed. And he ends up hearing his dad say really racist things. Um, and he just decides to leave at that point. Um, and one of the reasons it's really powerful is it doesn't just happen in that moment. Like it is actually something that gets brought up for the entirety of the episode. They talk about it. Richie's really scared he's going to lose his friend. And and Virgil, who's like a little bit confused, is just like, hey, it's not your fault, but like your dad sucks. And the reason I really like this is because I feel like a lot of people of color have probably had that experience of going over to somebody's house and things just not being quite right. 
Um, and like the longer you're there, the more racist it gets. Right. Um, and you kind of just one of the most memorable episodes. Yeah, because you don't really know what to do in those situations, and that is a problem that teenagers are having. It's a problem teenagers are having when they start dating. It's a problem teenagers are having when they're when they start making friends and actually getting to go to people's houses. And not to knock Teen Titans, because I love that show too. And they kind of did it with Cyborg, but then he's like, because I'm a cyborg. And it didn't actually talk about race. Um, whereas this was straight up, oh, Richie's old man is a racist. Cut and dry. Um, and Richie even says, my best friend's gone because of you and your stupid racism, which is probably one of the best lines in the TV show. I love it. Yeah, that's yeah. That that episode is definitely one of the most memorable because I was like, I remember watching it and being like, "Wow, like that's that's for real." Like, <laughs> like that. I feel like that could happen in, in like in real. Life. I mean, it never happened to me specifically, but I was like, "Man, that sounds kind of scary." I had a friend's mom, and it was funny because they were they were Mexican, but they were all light skin, like mm-hmm. white, white, white. Like they passed. Oh, and yeah. her mom made so many comments about me being brown. Like, it was very weird. Um, yeah. And then I had an ex's grandma call me the W word. Oh, jeez. Uh, when I went jeez. over for Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh, we're wow. in Midland. I can't go home. <laughs> wow. That's just... But, like... And the way they handled this, it's kind of like, it, it's the same thing that you experience. Like, you don't know what to do. Like, do you leave? Do you Sit ignore it? awkwardly. <laughs> yeah. Adrian, you're not in your head. Oh, yeah. I just had those experiences. And so is Stefani. And you're mentioning, like, Midland and Odessa. That's kind of where she was a kid. And she had an experience almost exactly like that. Like, where she went over to a friend's house. And it was, like, almost like this exact kind of thing. And she had to have a conversation with her um her dad like yeah, like yeah like confederate flags don't go to houses like that anymore like we are not going to those places um because of like a lot of things yeah. that you're that happened in this episode yeah but from that you also get all of his involvement with the justice league unlimited and justice league shows and you get two of the best characters that still piss me off that they're not using anything anymore john stewart and martian manhunter Yes, yes, Martian Manhunter is an alien, but he chooses to be a black man, much like Icon. Uh, well, I guess Icon yes. didn't choose. The pod chose for him. But, you know. Um, but, specifically, Dwayne McDuffie, while he didn't create Jon Stewart, he gave Jon Stewart some of the best writing and the reason we all love him today. And, specifically, he fought for it to be Jon Stewart and not Hal Jordan right. to, and, and, and to be powerful. in that lineup. That's powerful because there's there's people who aren't like you know let's be real a lot, a lot of people get into comics from TV shows or they don't read comics at all they like watch TV shows so a lot of people John Stewart is Green Lantern like when yes. I was younger I didn't read DC like that I mean I read like some Superman and Batman stories but I was reading mainly Marvel right so when I watched the Justice League show I was like yo that's Green Lantern so when I when I when I finally did read Green Lantern in the comics I was like. Who the f is Hal Jordan? Like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, that's the old guy. I was like, okay, but he's not the main one, right? Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, he's like, he's just the guy that like he used to be him, but John Stewart's like the real man, and like John Stewart like barely ever showed up. And I'm like, oh, there's John, and then he shows up, he kind of waves like in panel, and then like Hal, Hal Jordan's still at the front, and I'm like, 
what's happening? So my dad has to explain to me how how Jordan was like the most like the not the most popular, but I guess the main Green Lantern or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was it was weird dealing with <laughs> it was weird dealing with with that, and I, and I still think like I I'm not gonna get into my long diatribe about Green Lantern. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave that for the Green Lantern podcast, which I I'm also a, a host on. Uh, <laughs> but I, I got words about about why John Stewart should be the primary Green. He's just the most qualified, like period. I, I'll leave it at that. I mean, <laughs> I will will gladly have a John Stewart episode because I don't think Matt will let us have a general Green Lantern episode. As I said on the last episode, I will only do a John Stewart episode, and I will not do another Green Lantern episode because there are no other Green Lanterns. Yeah, I'm down with that. John I'm, down, I'm, I'm down with <laughs> that. Yeah, it's what it's why I mean, like I mean, I mean, Batman: The Brave and the Bold isn't like a bad like animated show. I think it has like some merits to it, but they have literally like every it. Green Lantern in that show except for Hal Jordan. I mean, except for uh, John Stewart, well, I mean, that's how and like like Rich was saying, I, like I had the same do. thing. I was like, isn't like how come John Stewart isn't here? Like, isn't he like the most important one? Like, why right. is what is this? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think they're just big. I think they they were just still pissed at him because I'm looking at like Batman: Brave and the Bold went from 2008 to 2011. You had Alan Scott, Guy Gardner, and Hal Jordan in that show, and yep. no yep. John Stewart during the time of. I think they were just big mad. I think they were just mad. They were like, you want to push him so much, we're not going to put him in the new Batman show. Well, talking about even from there, like I said, the new 52, basically, John Stewart's basically just an in-the-background character. Yeah, new 52, he he shares a book with Guy Gardner, of all people, like that douchebag. Like, he's just like... (laughs) In real life, Dwayne McDuffie's John Stewart would lay Hal Jordan the fuck out. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And, oh, but Martian Manhunter uh, is is in in Supergirl. So, yeah, but nobody likes Supergirl. <laughs> That's at, okay. Hold on. No, nobody does. You're correct. But it was okay. But was, the White Martian storyline <laughs> with John Stewart is the best part of that entire show. I will say that they did that well. Yeah. Well enough for a CW. <laughs> But no, Martian Manhunter also gets screwed, and they basically throw all him out because basically we just need Cyborg and everything, and John Stewart and Martian Manhunter do not. Because do only one black person is what they need. We only need and one black person to represent. Yeah, it's Cyborg. But, it's also, but the also weird thing is they took Cyborg from Teen Titans because they needed somebody there, but then you had already, I don't know. I, I feel so I, bad. I, for, I really don't like a lot of the new 52. I feel so bad for Cyborg as a character because he went from a character that could do so much to literally the token that DC puts around yes. and it's yeah. frustrating that, and that's why they took him from teen titans they took yeah. him from teen titans because they had no black person to put in justice league um i was gonna say too so i know actually adrian's comment about them being mad at dwayne mcduffie i actually wonder if it has anything to do with his like because uh dwayne mcduffie wasn't allowed to write the traditional justice league like his justice league was a very different lineup than what you usually see right mm. like, i don't remember exactly who was on it but wonder woman Spider or Superman and Batman aren't in his Justice League that he writes. Oh wow, I didn't realize that because I don't. What what years did he write Justice League? Because I don't. Uh, I don't get, uh, my DC see. is my DC is a uh, lesser. So while I'm <laughs> looking that up, I do want to talk about Martian Manhunter just for a minute because it was weird because obviously in this one he um, he chooses a black man and everything else and I always thought that for the most part and that was actually before Kate said no he's not because I know when we've had this stuff brought up and he's like no he's always hasn't been a black man mm. and for me I was like oh I had only known Martian Manhunter as choosing a black man for the most part and so it was interesting when 
kind of like with you with the Hal Jordan thing, where Kate was like, no, he actually was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, like a white person for a long time. And I was like, oh, I did not know that. Mm. So you're, you're talking about when he wrote Justice League. Um, I'm just looking it up here. I'm trying to remember what it was, because I heard... Because it, it could be wrong, but I, I was I was reading one of his things and it was talking about he, he wasn't allowed to write the traditional Justice League because he got a lot of hate from people saying that he was turning the Justice League all black. But he was like, I didn't uh, pick these characters. No, no, no. So, I mean, he had, I remember, so, okay. So I'm looking at the year of this Justice League because I didn't realize that that was him writing it at the time. Because I'm, 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 I mean, still, I was bad with looking at who was writing the book. <laughs> but now now that I'm looking at it, I see right. No, uh, so Superman and Wonder Woman were on the team. Okay. Batman, I'm not sure. Now, I don't know if they stayed on the team regularly. I can't remember. Like, it was so long ago. It was like, I literally was reading it as it was coming out back in 2007-ish, I think. Uh, yeah, it says 2007 through 2009. So, yeah, I was, I was like mid-college. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, this is me mid-college. Like, I was like... Buying random graphic novels, I didn't know who the heck was writing what. Like, <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, well, whatever. But no, no, no. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I remember that they were in the run. I don't know how long they stayed in there and to what extent that they were used in the run. So okay. So I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I know Vixen was there. <laughs> Make sure that yeah. happened. Uh. I don't know. I mean, maybe they. I don't. I don't know if they wanted him to write the, to write, just certain characters because they wanted to bring some diversity to the books. Um, Which is know. the other thing when it comes to diverse writers, they don't get to write like. Right. You it's know like, what I oh mean? no, we can't. You can't have you write this other team. We need you. We want to put you on the black character and just that character. Don't write anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much they're used, but according to DCFan.com. Justice League of America Volume 2, 13, of which I guess is like the first one, has, I don't know how much they're used, but it has Black, uh, Batman, Black Canary, Black Lightning, Green Lantern, Hawker, Red Arrow, Red Tornado, Superman, Vixen, and Wonder Woman. Um, at least in that one, if that helps at all. Vixen was prominent, that's though. Not, I was like, that's not a bad Yeah, I don't know how much people no, no. are used, yeah. but, but it's, Vixen, it's a pretty yeah, dope-looking cover. Way, like, Jesus. This is around the time where people realized that Vixen was, like, dope. And I guess that was also because of Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not saying that she wasn't written like as dope before, but like I know that in that run, um, you know, it kind of helped better establish your powers, um, use your powers more creatively. Um, yeah. Realize that she so, was a so specifically, and I think this is probably where the bigger piece comes from. He was actually fired from writing Justice League after lying in the gutters columnist Rich Johnston ran a compilation of two years or so of his answers to fans' questions on of DC Comics in discussion boards. Um, Rich Johnston. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And so, so like, essentially what that dude did was he took all of Dwayne McDuffie's responses to fans, ran them, and DC fired him from the book because he talked about how um, he wasn't allowed to have any control over the types of stories that he was telling in the book. And he would make, um, uh, and he essentially said that, like, how the DC's big guns from Superman, Batman, and Green Arrow, and Captain Marvel weren't allowed for him to use in his stories. Mm. So I think this is where that initial comment comes from, Ritz. 
Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that kind of makes sense. I'm kind of like going back through these these things, and like the last like three issues or four issues that he does has like this is like the lineup for like the last couple of ones. Um, so 31 has Black Canary, Green Lantern, Doctor Light, Zatanna, Vixen. 32 has Green Lantern, Doctor Light, Firestorm, Zatanna, Vixen. And then his last one is Green Lantern, Doctor Light, you know, same people. And that's like the last like yeah. four or five issues that he has for that run. So did they not like that they was make, that he was making Vixen dope? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's where all that comes from. I don't know who that line in the gutters guy is, but uh, yeah, so I dropped it. it it's gonna, the source is CBR, but it it's it actually has quotes from <laughs> Dwayne McDuffie and everything in it. Right, um, that's gonna be something. So be. that yeah. is, yeah. Um, okay, well we need to get moving. We, yeah, we do have to keep moving. Hour. We're at a long time. Um, <laughs> but yes, to Matt's other point, I still don't like it that when I see the new DC animated universe, that Martian Manhunter is a white guy. I hate it, and I don't accept it. Yeah, true statement. And that no. Yes. All right, now we'll, we'll talk about it later because I, I I need to see it. I'll, I'll look it up because we got some That's, more stuff. So um, beyond Static Shock, he also did more TV writing. Uh, his other television credits include Teen Titans and What's New Scooby-Doo as well as Ben 10 because he revamped that entire series. But the reason I want to talk about him is because he's very pivotal for Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Um, and I know that when we did our episode, we we titled it Bruce Timm's Justice League because that's how it always gets talked about. But it's a disservice to Dwayne McDuffie to not talk about the fact that he contributed to 69 out of the 91 episodes of that series. Um, and I listed my favorite ones that he was on specifically because these are also my favorite episodes of like all of the series. Right. He did The Brave and the Bold, which is essentially peak Batman. Uh, peak Batman in the way that you're getting, like, Adam West, that, that type of Batman. Uh, Star-Crossed, which is the romance to end all romances, where Hot Girl has to choose between Thanagar and Jon Stewart. Uh, he did Flashpoint. It's Flashpoint. Um, but also, in that specific episode, there's this giant debate about how, from, between the non-powered superheroes and the powered superheroes, where they're like, yo, they have every reason to be afraid of you. Um, which is a really, really good comic book commentary. Then you have Epilogue, which is the best damn episode of anything ever. Um, <laughs> you can go listen to our Bruce Tim episode, or the Bruce Tim episode where I just talk about that. Um, and then you have Wake the Dead, which is the saddest episode. Um, because, well, second saddest, because you have Grundy and Hot Girl has to kill Grundy and she doesn't want to because they've had these bonding moments and it's extremely depressing. Um, but he was a phenomenal writer and all of the things that I love about Justice League were written by him. Like all of these, I think uh, I think Flashpoint, he is a co-writer. Like he did the story, but somebody else did the teleplay. But all the other ones, he's the only writer listed for them. Right. Um, McDuffie also wrote the story for the video game Justice League Heroes. Um, McDuffie was hired to revamp the end story at a Cartoon Network's Ben 10 franchise with Ben 10 Alien Force. Um, Adrian, do you have more about that? Yeah. Uh, before that, uh, just like to mention like the Teen Titans stuff, like the two episodes that he did for Teen Titans, I didn't even realize that he wrote, like, I didn't know that the, these were his, but the one where fear itself, the one like where 
like all of uh, Starfire or all of Raven's like projections are like coming to thing. And it's basically just like a horror movie inside like a Teen Titans Tower. He does that one. And then he also does Winner Takes All with um, what was Homeboy's name? Like the Master of Games or whatever. Uh, yeah, the Master yeah. of Games. And he makes like all the uh, guys, superheroes fight each other. And then they have like that dope ending moment where uh, where Robin's like, well, you know, winning isn't everything. And then Speedy's like, well, it's the only thing that matters. And like it was a pivotal moment in my life of how I looked at like competing and stuff. I was like, of course winning matters. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, he does those two episodes for Teen Titans, and they're some of my favorites. But uh, like you said, like he revamps Ben Ten into kind of like that teenage thing. And I think he does. I think he does all of it. Like he either either writes or like storyboard writes the entire series. And I think he was even working on the first reboot series. I think before he died, which might be contribute to why they don't they didn't continue that one. But I really like the Ben 10 alien force because I'm a sucker for world building. And while like the first Ben 10, when he's a kid is like fun and, and stuff like that, they tackle much harder stuff in Ben 10 alien force and Ben 10 ultimate alien, uh, which makes me want to go back and wa- rewatch it right now. Just like thinking about it. Cause I do tackle some of those like bigger issues. Um, and they just build out this entire universe of like cool aliens and cool designs. And just really speaks to kind of like, like you said, his range of um, doing things going from, superheroes to like aliens to making people fight each other he can really he really knows how to make people fight each other really really well writing wise so i do like ben 10 alien force the chip the child one is definitely sometimes hard to watch but alien force was one i did watch and then as we got to like ultimate i kind of got confused and they started adding another thing yeah i mean ultimate's basically just like you know it's like season two ish thing and then they have like that like the omnitrix one or whatever and that was like a reboot and then they have like another another reboot and now he's like older in like that reboot thing i don't know i haven't watched it in years but that's what i haven't either i i I remember watching alien force and then basically after that it was just kind of like i remember amatrix or whatever the hell that one was and i was like i don't like this and then I got confused, and I was like, all right, I'm moving on from Ben 10 in my life. Yeah. Your boy has range, is all I'm trying to say. Your boy has range. <laughs> um, and then finally, McDuffie wrote a number of direct-to-DVD animated films. So, again, the DC animated universe, as we knew and loved it. Not that these new ones are bad. They still have the superior animated universe. But these are in a whole caliber all by themselves. Um, specifically, he wrote Crisis on Two Earths and Justice League Doom. Uh, Justice League Doom is one of the best uh, animated movies from yep. DC canon. Yep. Uh, he also scripted the direct-to-DVD adaptation of All-Star Superman, which was released one day after his death, and Justice League Doom ended up being released posthumously in 2012 as well. Um, yeah. Anybody have any thoughts to contribute to this before we move to the next point? What's new Scooby-Doo? Obviously, we talked about it in our Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> That's like one of the best Scooby-Doos. Um, and so the last but why, though, is the fact that not only has his legacy impacted creators, like, he showed what could be done. Like, uh, because of that, his legacy has also created the Dwayne McDuffie. He has two Dwayne McDuffie Awards. Um, so essentially like for me, Dwayne McDuffie is kind of like the pivotal, like make the things you want to see person, like be, like be the force for change. Um, and so the very first, uh, the first award that he has is the Dwayne McDuffie Awards for diversity in comics. And this was created to help a more diverse range of outstanding creative voices. 
finally find inclusion and recognition in media. Um, Neo Edmund came up with the idea for the award. It was presented at Long Beach Comic Con Expo, and comics and TV's writer Matt, May- Matt Wayne was the initial director of the award, while Phil Lamar acts as the master of ceremonies for the award presentations. Um, and in 2015, MFK by Neela Magruder won. 2016 Miss Marvel by G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfana won. Uh, 2017 Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels. 2018 Leon Protector of the Playground um, by Jamar Nicholas. And then in 2019 Archival Quality by Ivy Noel Weir and Chris, uh, Christina Stewart. Um, then uh, you have the Dwayne McDuffie Awards for Kids Comics, and this is given to a comic book aimed at young readers that fulfills the criteria of quality, timeliness, originality, diversity, and inclusion. Um, and the award was created after consultation with McDuffie's wife, Charlotte Fullerton. In 2015, Hilda and the Black Hound by Luke Pearson won. 2015, Awkward by uh, Svetlana Chemakova. 2017, Ghost by Raina Telmir. Uh, 2018, The Tea Dragon Society by Katie O'Neill, and 2019, The Cardboard Kingdom by Chad Sell. However, in 2017, the word, the, this is going to shock everybody because it, it's weird because it's Dwayne McDuffie's name, but in 2017, the award was criticized for creating a short list of comics created almost entirely by white people. Um, when Raina Talmagir won the award that year, and in her success, in her success, in her acceptance speech, she highlighted ten recent ga- graphic novels that were written by diverse creators, and gave away ten copies of each of the mem- of each of the books to members of the audiences. In response to the criticism that had began, uh, in response to the criticism, they began to allow anybody to make nominations. So essentially, they had a board that would make the nominations of the people who would go up for the award. And now it's pretty much open to. Uh, to, an open floor for nominations from anybody in 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 the industry uh very similar to the way the Dwayne McDuffie awards for diversity of comics is run um so yeah it's he was so influential in pushing comics that he now has two awards named after him and I didn't even I didn't even talk about his Eisners and stuff like that um but yeah that's that's Dwayne McDuffie (laughs) he did a lot of stuff he created a lot of our childhoods Jon Stewart's the best Green Lantern which I think is a solid fact that we can take (laughs) away from this episode um uh I guess final thoughts I applied for the Dwayne McDuffie award (laughs) oh that's cool Probably won't get it, but hey, I feel I felt still honored. I'm like, hey, look, uh, that's really cool. <laughs> I can actually put something in for this, right? I, so, that's uh, actually got to be an amazing feeling. <laughs> What's that? That has to be an amazing feeling. Yeah, I mean, it was like I'm like, you know, I, I don't even care. Like, I mean, obviously, like there's there's a lot of creators out there, but I'm just, I'm just more like, wow, like he set up this thing that I can actually submit something to. You know, because I have works that are um, at least in part inspired by his legacy. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get my final thoughts in because I'm sure Ritz is going to have a nice equality. Wow. It's a little low key. <laughs> yep. Can you pronounce it right? It's going to be so good. That's how bad mine's going to be compared. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, um, obviously, I didn't read any of the comics. I don't read comics, you say, but obviously, I do a lot of the media. And I did know. Well, I still think of when I think of McDuffie, I will always have a place for OJ in my heart. Um, Dwayne is right there with the next McDuffie in line, <laughs> just because of what I've known from all the you know Justice League, Ben Ten, 
and all the animated shows we get and a lot of the great characters and John Stewart will always and always be the only Green Lantern that exists. And now I'm done. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I think, um, I mean, I mean, Static Shock, Justice League Unlimited, Ben 10, you know, some of my favorite episodes of Teen Titans. Like those are like super in important, you know, shows that I remember distinctly and like I can like quote the shows because I, I I watched them so much and it's just really sad that like he didn't get to do more right because he did all of this stuff that we're talking about before he was 50 like imagine how much more he could have done um given given the circumstances uh yeah it's, it's, it's just really great that we have all of this stuff and I hope Ritz gets nominated because that having an award thing named after you like that that matters that I think that puts you on a upper echelon of comic book writers when you get a whole award named after you um, (laughs) after you're like, oh, I don't want to be a scientist anymore. I'm going to go make comics and (laughs) write on TV shows. (laughs) Like, that's pretty baller, man. Um, So, yeah, yeah. I'll go later. I'll let you go last. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, because you you can close us out. Um, Yeah, no, Dwayne McDuffie is somebody who I've always known about, like I talked um, and he's somebody that's impacted comics. And, and for me, it's it's about the characters it created, but it's more so the path that he showed. Because I think a lot of the times people don't understand that sometimes you can just be... You, you can be... Um, how do we say it? You don't have to give up your morality all the time. Sometimes they'll shut down your entire comic book company... But when you're good, like Dwayne McDuffie was, you can bounce back and create an entire DC animated universe after they cut cut your funding. Um, no, no, it, there's something empowering about seeing somebody who did so much for different communities of color and, and specifically black representation in comics, having done so by refusing to give in when people wanted him to. Because I think that a lot of the time when you're working in any sort of media space, it's very easy to not push. It's very easy to kind of curb to the status quo and stop so you can get that little piece ahead. And I don't blame people for doing that because, like, you have to eat, you know? Sometimes you have to take that shitty character so that you can get the one that you want. But there are also people like Dwayne McDuffie that exist where sometimes it's okay to just do you and to stay by what you believe in. And I think for me, and as a, as a creator in, in a different media space, that's kind of what I look to. Um, yeah. Um, Close <laughs> us out. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess I'll say that um, when, I, when I look back at creators, I look at creators that, like, inspire me, right? So as a comic book creator, you know, new comic book creator, you know, I haven't been I haven't been writing them like for years and years and years. Um, for the past couple of years of finally diving into, um, you know, the art of creating comics and learning how to tell good stories with you know with with characters that resonate with people. You know, I look at people that I look up to, like you know, like yeah, uh, David Walker or Brandon Hill uh, or I'm sorry, Brian Hill or Brandon Easton. Or, or, you know, Brandon Thomas or, you know, uh, Eve Ewing. Like, I look at all these people and then I look at, like, I, I watch videos and I read writings on what these people talk about often. Like, these people that I look up to. And 
I think every single one of them have referenced McDuffie. Every single one of the, the people that I look up to, they all go and they say, yo, um, when I look back at people like, like, you know, what, like what McDuffie did, like that just keeps me kicking and, and knowing that I, I can, I can, I can make something. If he did it, I could do it. You know what I mean? That type of thing. If, if these people can get together and sit in a small room and, and write together, uh, you know, a 28-page uh, story Bible and go present it to DC Comics and get a whole company made after them, then I can do something like that. Maybe not to DC Comics, but you know what I mean? Um, I, I'm not saying because you can't. I'm saying because we have the ability to make our own in this day and age. Yeah. We're, in a new, we're in a new era. You know what I mean? We're, we're in an era where we can pop up our own comic book company. So when I look at uh, creators now, all the creators that are around me, people like Greg Elisi, you know, um, People like Danny, Danny J. Quick, uh, you know, uh, like creators that are on, you know, that are on our level, making great stuff that can get out there, and, and then constantly referencing the Wayne McDuffie. Like it shows you how much of an impact this guy has had um, on the way we think about uh, creating, the way we think about what we are capable of doing as people of color. You know what I mean? Like when I. When I make these books, yeah, don't get me wrong. Stan Lee's inspiring in his own way, you know. But at the end of the day, I always think back to man. I didn't even know that we were being represented until I read Static. Like I didn't know. I was a kid. Like legit, when I read X Men and, and, and Spider Man, I didn't. I, I was just like, oh, it's they're cool. And I didn't really think about it until I saw Static, and I was like, yo, like this this dude is black. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that that's allowed. You know what I mean? Like that's a thing. So. And then, and then seeing a whole world of black creators or, or black, not black creators, uh, black characters who are all different, you know, like they, they all represent different parts of blackness. And then, and then other characters that represent different aspects of culture. When I write my stuff, no offense to white people, have no problem, problem with white people or white characters, nothing like that. But I gravitate towards creating characters of color. And they're not always black. The main character of my book, Scorpio's. Uh, the, the the main guy is a Chinese American, you know, and, and and Naomi in that book is 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 black, and and then other other books I, I naturally gravitate towards creating that diversity, not as a forced thing. It's just a natural, like this is my inclination, and I always think back to to McDuffie and, and what he did. Um, and I, and, I, and he, I mean his legacy is still here. Even even last year, um, Brian Michael Bendis and and and. Uh, and David Walker got together and they created a character for DC named uh, Naomi. And uh, you find out in the last issue of that book that her last name is McDuffie. And like legit, like I, I, <laughs> I didn't cry, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty heavy right there. You know what I mean? Like, like seeing this character, I mean, it's a little short miniseries, but seeing this character go and then come into her full power and she's got on her dope suit and she's all cosmic spacey looking and then like you learn her last name is make you know my name is Naomi McDuffie and it's kind of like whoa like that's heavy that he's impacted so many people like I mean somebody like Brian Michael Bendis who's who's obviously has he has had a huge impact on the industry but the fact that Bendis looks back and and, and references the legacy that Duffy left the McDuffie left um I mean that that's that's pretty dope so um yeah man like it's it's he's like even in his passing like like uh, he's a, he's a continued inspiration. I mean, every time. I, I, again, when I, during the time when he passed, 
I was just learning about like all the things that he had done because again, I just watched Chuck read stuff, not see whose name was on the book. <laughs> but like, I I, I was kind of sad like when I heard that he passed because I was like, whoa, that's the guy, like that's him, that's the guy that I was just reading about who wrote Static, and that's the guy that you know I was I was really just getting into knowing who he really was back in 2011. You know what I mean? So. Like over the years, learning more and more about him over time, it, it hits that much harder. Like every time I, every time I think about it or see a documentary or, or read an article, it's talking about his passing. It's just like, man, it hurts. But <laughs> I'm gonna continue to let his legacy and, and inspire me, and hopefully others to, to you know, continue on. So, um, yeah, that was that was long. That, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> hey, that's why we brought you on. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much, Ritz, for coming on and talking with us and going over time, but with a great conversation. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell everybody listening where they can find you on the interwebs, how they can support you and your work, that kind of stuff. Word. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at fourth wall. That is I V W A L like the Roman numeral. I am John Robinson, the fourth. So if you just think about the fourth in terms of Roman numeral, you'll find me. Um, you can also find me on facebook.com slash fourth wall. And Facebook.com slash Scorpio Comics. Uh, again, my comic is is a uh, is a comic about 12 relics that are powered by the Zodiac. Um, uh, it's full of diverse characters, um, magical, mystical stuff. Uh, go go get it at ScorpioComic.com. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. And if you want to help support this show a little bit more, head on over to Patreon.com slash PC. And if you want to follow us on all of our things, head on over to uh, at ButWhyThoughPC on every single piece of social media. We're the same thing everywhere. And you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Twitter, where I think I'm currently trying to... Oh, this episode's going to come out when when the embargo's broken. I'm going to (laughs) be yelling about Samurai Jack game. Because that thing is amazing. Nice. <laughs> um, so you're going to get a lot of Jack tweets, or you've gotten a lot of Jack tweets. Right. Uh, Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-S-E, 93. <laughs> There's still only one Green Lantern, and his name is John Stewart. Agreed. <laughs> 